Hi, welcome to my podcast. I'm Dr. Lauren Goodall. I'm a clinical psychologist, and this is Psychology in Short. Before we start, I'd like to talk a little bit about my book. It's called Bipolar is Not an STD, and it's available on Amazon. And what it is, is I've spent over 20 years uh, speaking with clients um, with a heavy preponderance in the area of mood disorders. So that would be depression, subtypes of depression, subtypes of anxiety, panic, bipolar spectrum, bipolar. Um, And basically what I have found Well, basically, before I decided to write, I I, I thought, hey, you know, I've got a lot of information here in the sense that there's a lot of sub pieces of mood disorders that are important that a lot of people don't realize are part of an equation, um, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, whether it's bipolar, whether it's how to deal with panic. And I decided to put some of that information together. And that was the motivation because a lot of people are incorrectly diagnosed. So I figured if I can help the people, if I can give them an idea of what to look for um, besides kind of what's out there in the general general audience of information. In other words, there's sub-pieces that are really important in terms of getting people better. So that was the motivation behind the book. I also talk about uh, relationship factors, a lot of relationship that relationships that go south factors. And the beginning of the book is about my life prior to psychology. And there's a little misery in there. So if you like misery, this will, <laughs> this will definitely be your game. But at the end of the day, it's about getting people better and, and how and, 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 and why it's important and why some people carry a lot. And just because you carry a lot doesn't mean you're not going to make it. So if you want to see some of that stuff, that's available in my book. Again, it's Bipolar is Not an STD, available on Amazon. All right, today's topic is a tough one. Uh, it's, it's a tough one because it's a little heavy. And I'm taking it apart again uh, in my style, and my style is a different style. Uh, as somebody once said, uh, um, use the term contrarian. Yes, in some ways I really am, and it does tend to suit me, uh, but I get the job done. So the topic is suicide, and people, you know, there's a lot of information out there, but I wanted to break it down And I wanted to break it down to factors that people really don't think about. Uh, So I will start and then uh, go from there. So I'm going to talk about, say, four of the main headings. And then I'm going to start breaking it down into subtypes. So you get a better picture of what to look for and why it matters. Okay. And some of the things you may have thought about this that might just be plain wrong. Okay, so here goes. All right, one thing, one factor, one big factor is hopelessness. And hopelessness is something that happens over time. It isn't something that just happens in an instant. It happens over time. 
That's how you get the most damage on something, is something that brews and brews and brews in your mind, in your thought process. Um, but hopelessness is, it becomes very powerful the more time it exists in your mind. And the other piece about it is that no matter what you do, you can't seem to get the help you need or the resources you need. This is not about a shortage of IQ. This is about a shortage of resources, okay? Um, and in kind of a lack in, 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 you're trying to solve a problem that you're having a miserable time solving. And you just know that if you just had X, if you just had Y, you might be able to do this, right? So think of it as a shortage, okay? A shortage of something. And when I use the term resources, uh, resources could be things, they could be objects, but they could also be people. All right, so hopelessness. Uh, hopelessness always ties in with helplessness. They seem to list those two factors separately in the DSM. Uh, Diagnostic Statistical Manual Mental Disorders 5. Um, and, and really, they're still, they're still very highly, highly, highly interwoven. I mean, I never met a person who was hopeless that was not, in fact, helpless, okay? That sense of feeling like you cannot climb out of the pit you are in or got saddled with. Okay, because some pits you don't climb into, some pits you get saddled with. All right, so hopelessness and helplessness are really big factors. And now I'm going to talk a little bit about loss because loss is a huge factor. Loss can be about money in the Great Depression. In the 1920s, it was about money, and so and it was about identity. It seemed the people that had the least resilience were the ones who had the most money, because the people who had the most money, their whole identity was already bought and sold on their cash flow, and the stuff they had and the stuff they owned. Whereas, uh, the people who had less, or significantly less had built up a sense of resilience. They had, I mean, certainly when the, when, the run, when the run came on the banks, these people were not happy. They took setbacks. But the difference in being able to not become, shall we say, succumbed or overwhelmed by the setback is to have gone through, say, previous trials. So the people who had less money, you better bet they've had some trials before. This was not their first poker game, okay? So those were the people, the little guys, the people who who figured out how to live on one meal a day, the little people who didn't have much to wear, whom other people frowned upon. <laughs> well, those were your resilient people, okay? But just giving you a general piece. You know, when your whole world is locked up in a identity, I don't care what type of identity it is, um, 
whether it's about stuff, whether it's about status, whether it's a professional identity, uh, loss is really hard, okay? Or maybe it's about people, people in your life. Um, there are a lot of people who know people. Um, well, let me say this differently. There is such a thing as soulless relationships, where you can know people and you can say, "Ah, I've got a lot of acquaintances. I tend to know people. I network fast, that kind of thing. But the real question is, is can you really count on any of these people? If you went into a really tough time, how many of those people would still have your back when things don't look good, when things are not convenient, when you're not out having a great time with them, how many would really show up? That's the real question. You know, it's not hard to have a friend when you, you know, basically it's built on good times. But having friends who will show up at your worst, ugliest moments and stay. And that is a huge factor. A huge factor. Um, when I look at the people I've talked with who have battled suicidal ideation, and I've talked to plenty um, over the years, there's a sense of betrayal that they start to talk about. Betrayal, and as we know, I think when we think of the word betrayal, we think of maybe an intimate relationship you know, somebody just not being honest or not being forthright, uh, you know, in a romantic partnership. But there's other types of betrayals as to, that exist as well. There is the betrayal that, you know, you have a solid friend that you've invested in for years and, and, and you've built this relationship. But yet, for some reason, it's not working and you're in a really rough space, and you can't count on them. Heck, that can happen with family. That can happen with extended family. You know those people that you go and meet up with the party a couple times a year, and they love you, love you, love you. Oh, how are you doing? But as soon as you say something, oh, I hope you feel better. I hope something's better, whatever. But would they ever pick up the phone? Would they ever check on you? Now, those people that don't check on you and can't go out of their way for you, that's a sense of betrayal. Um, and yet, 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 there are people that you've perhaps barely know or haven't met yet, complete strangers, who will basically help you out and be there and be present and be strong. So let's get this straight. You can be investing in people that you've known for years that really don't, you know, they don't offer much. They don't have much resilience. They don't understand anything. Um, they don't try to understand anything. They're just, you know, what you call good timers, okay? And yet there's complete strangers that will do more for you and care more about you and reach more for you. So that's the good side of the equation, okay? Um, sometimes... You have to rely upon the kindness of strangers. No joke, okay? And so betrayal is a big piece in suicidal ideation. 
And then there is, well, as I said, soulless relationships is part of that. Saying, how do I know these people? And yet they're really not all that great. Okay, so in part, developing a stronger sense of who you are is starting to sort through some of those people that really aren't, quote, good enough for you. Um, Talk is cheap. You don't need cheap talk, okay? You need people who really show up. And that's a a being there and seeing it live kind of thing. You're going to know who those people are is if you go through a hard time and they show up and they don't wince. And they're, and they're just there, okay? So uh, trying to get rid of soulless relationships is a big deal. And also, I'm going to, well, I call this TAIL, okay? T-A-I-L, it's a simple acronym. I like to kind of break things down um, just so that I remember it better. But I just organized it like this. It's not organized anywhere else, but it's, like I said, I've spent over 20 years, I've heard similar patterns, and I put patterns together that make sense, because at the end of the day, I've had to get people better, and I've had to pull people out of suicidal spins, and you better have some, <laughs> you better have something to stand on, and, and you've got to have some way to deliver it, so there are no books that deliver it for you. You have to be able to figure it out. All right, so this is what I figured out. There is, when I say tail, I'm talking about mental trauma, okay? T is for trauma, all right? Mental trauma is the stuff that you experience that you can't get out of your head, okay? For some reason, it sticks with you. It's not good. Um, it, it just kind of brings you to your knees. Mental trauma is a huge contributor of suicidal thinking, Okay. Abandonment. That sense of abandonment is huge. Um, Feeling left, feeling left to fend for yourself. You don't get abandonment on kind of a one-time experience in life. Abandonment can be a pattern um, that you don't necessarily deserve. It just could be... uh, part of part of your life schema and and that's you know nothing you ask for but it can happen um so abandonment is a real painful experience and like i said you can feel abandoned by soulless relationships you can know a lot of people but that doesn't mean they're all worth it and then there is isolation okay the people who are more prone to suicidal uh thinking are more isolated. They're more alone. They're more withdrawn. Okay. So that becomes a pattern. They would rather be by themselves than try to put themselves out there in social context. Okay. And another contributor of suicidal factors is loss. Okay. Loss comes in a lot of different forms. It could be the loss of an identity. It could be the loss of stuff. It could be the loss of a really, really important relationship. Something that really mattered to you. And for whatever reason, you cannot get it right or they cannot get it right. The timing's always off. 
and you've invested a long time in this relationship. So it really, really does matter. Even messed up relationships have some significance. They have some significance of time and they have some significance of meaning. So when somebody said they had a, a, a bad relationship, I just don't throw that out and excuse it and just put it in the trash and say there was no meaning there. No, there's always meaning there. And there's always good inter intertwined usually in these longer term investments, okay? And another loss that people experience is loss of meaning, okay? When you fail to find purpose or meaning in your life and you just feel like you just kind of end up in places and no matter what you do, it doesn't seem to matter. These are the people who are going to be more at risk for suicidal ideation. So another interesting factor about suicide is that not everyone who attempts suicide actually has a mental illness. How's that for a shocker? Okay. Um, some people commit suicide because events and situations that they feel are so beyond their control, um, but they have no known history of mental health issues. So saying that everybody's crazy, crazily depressed or, or have a long pattern of depression or long pattern of anxiety, no, not necessarily. Some things just wipe people out. And so understand that. And so when people say they know somebody who committed suicide and they didn't see any pattern, well, that's really a legit answer, okay? Because some come with absolutely no pattern. No real depression that you could pick up on. No real anxiety that you can pick up on. No mental trauma that you can actually pick up or trauma exposure, okay? So that is really, really confusing, right? So um, I thought that was really an interesting myth that's out there that basically everybody who commits suicide is, is depressed, anxious, or, you know, has some biochemistry issues. That can definitely be part of the equation, but sometimes it's the situations and it's the events that preset the stage. Um, and when we're talking about things that people can't climb out of or have a hard time with, it, let's just say addictions is easy, it's easy to grab, but I'm not talking about the standard addictions. I'm saying so much of life is about addictions. Maybe it's the stuff you eat, maybe it's the stuff you don't eat, maybe it's your work patterns, maybe, you know, it's not all about alcohol and substance, okay? Maybe you've got a gambling issue, um, you know, and, and maybe you like to spend money, okay? There's a, there's a lot of things that really can get, can, can tie a person up, okay? And I just call them general addictions because there are just so many of them. And, but they could be a, a key pattern in why somebody might feel uh, like they can't climb out. And let's see what else we got. Oh, okay. This one, 
this one. I, I change the name on this as I do many things because I feel that if you explain something in a different way, sometimes it just makes it easier to understand. That's all. Okay. One word that people like to use is shame. Uh, psychology likes to use it. I should qualify it. People don't like to use it. Psychology likes to use it. I've never interviewed anybody or ever uh, discussed with a client and directly asked them about their shame factor in their life. Why? Because that's crazy. It's, it's lunacy. Okay. Not to say that nobody carries any. What is shame? But the word itself is problematic. Okay. You might as well just delete it because it doesn't work. But if you talk about self-blame, things you feel responsible for, things you wish you did better, things that you just kind of missed or messed up, okay, that's more real. And people can relate to that. And I think everybody's got some blame, some responsibility, some things in their life that they say, oh, I missed, I just missed it. Okay, fine, right? So... You know, in working and establishing, you know, hey, you know, when you help somebody problem solve, you got to understand a little part of what's in the equation. Sometimes there's more self-blame in the equation. Sometimes there's not. Okay. Don't assume it. These are just some different factors that go into suicidal ideation. But what I will tell you that's always involved is the sense of hopelessness and helplessness. Okay, that's gonna, that's gonna be in there. And usually loss. That's a, that's a given, that's a complete a given, and then you start looking for a sense of abandonment. Rejection, abandonment are a big thing. You know, some kids get bullied their whole life, and, and it's just treacherous. Um, I was just listening to something um, by Michael J. Fox, and he is this just eternal optimist, and he, he was the guy, he was the actor on Back to the Future, and he described his life before he got that movie, and, and he's like, basically, I was just this kid who used to just get picked on in school, I was an 11th grade dropout, uh, the kids used to bully me, throw, throw me in the lockers, and then, you know, he got this opportunity for this for this movie and he became a huge star. So just because somebody's picking on you, somebody's somebody's bullying you, at that point in time, I'm sure he didn't think he carried much value in life because that was what he was shown by defective people, by lousy people, okay? But here he had a gifting and and he became something huge and substantial with this gifting, right? As a, a, a phenomenal actor, a phenomenal influence. He has battled par, Parkinson's disease um, and has managed, and it, that's a huge deal, and he's managed with a sense of optimism. And I guess he's got a book out and I'm sure it's worth reading, okay? So that's for anyone who battles things, who people felt less than about, and here he became something so significant. But it's not just his story. I believe that everybody has a God-given talent. Everybody has a skill set. And when you work with somebody who's feeling suicidal, uh, they forget that they have any talent. They forget, basically, that they have something 
that that matters in the world. And I think it's your job as a friend or a person to help somebody problem solve through a crisis of that matter, of that nature. Now, I'm also saying go get professional help, but you know, maybe part of that equation is saying, hey, you know, I'll go to the doctor with you. That's a way of being helpful, okay? So don't let them go by themselves. Show them some support. Maybe they need an antidepressant. Maybe they need something for their anxiety. Maybe they need something, period, okay? Show up, go. These pieces all matter. All right. The one thing that I'm going to tell you about with suicidal, with dealing with people who've experienced suicidal ideation as sort of a cautionary tale, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's definitely a cautionary tale. I have spoken to, I'm going to say, unfortunately, a fair amount of people who lost people to suicide. And, and it's, and it's just, you know, um, it's almost it's almost impossible to pick up those pieces um, because there is a sense of what did I mess up? What did I miss? And like I said, some people don't show patterns of things. So you may not get any real ability to to really miss something because some people don't show patterns. And so it is what it is. But one cautionary tale I will say is that Sometimes say this this occurred in the context of addictions, and I guess it's worth a whole other segment. But people saying, "Hey, you know what? If you're going to be drunk, don't call me. Okay, don't call me at two in the morning. Don't call me in three in the morning." What I'm going to say to you, as a person, as a psychologist, okay, <laughs> who's worked with these people, is say, "Don't be that person." who puts that limit there, okay? Make sure you take that call because there's a lot of people out there who wished they took that call, okay? Because you might be the last person somebody speaks with before they do something really radical and you can't get them back. So please don't be that person. Be the person that will take the call. You may not agree with them, you might point out to them that they're not thinking clearly or they had too much to drink or whatever, but take that call because it may be the difference between somebody living and somebody dying. So take that call. All right. The next piece I'm going to talk about really fast is about problem solving. And it's just a very, very quick overview it is that sometimes, you know, when a person's dealing with suicidal ideation, they can't really, they're not going to, they're going to have a hard time problem solving through situations, okay? If they feel so, so overwhelmed, they're going to have a hard time problem solving. And as a friend to somebody, as a support to somebody, as a partner to somebody, whatever it is, try to help them problem solve. Because, but if you're problem solving... In the area of there's a, you know, there's a good approach and there's a bad approach. I've got a news flash for you. <laughs> Problem solving can be imperfect. Okay. Sometimes 
the only choices a person may face at that particular time is bad and worse, okay? So if you are a person that says, hey, there's only good, good choices and bad choices, no. There is also a space called complicated problem solving. And say, okay, you're in this situation, this is really tough, da-da-da. It's complicated, okay? And maybe that's a better answer than you know, the way we teach kids. We teach kids, this is the good way, this is the bad way. And that's important for kids because of where their brain is at. But as a person develops, some situations are a bit more complicated to, to process through, to prob- problem solve through. Um, I'm not saying, hey, everybody, you know, just, you know, be that therapist to your friend. I'm not saying it. Go get professional help. But... Go there with them. Be supportive. Say, hey, you know, let me join you in a session. You might get something out of it too. In fact, I'm sure you'll get something out of it too. All right? So when you think of suicidal thinking, I want you to think of, hey, hopelessness doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. And changes in a person in terms of whether they feel supported Do they feel abandoned? Do they feel betrayed? Do they have a lot of soulless relationships? Are they battling some type of addiction? These are all factors going on. Do they battling some type of mental trauma? Okay, because there's so many people, we're aware of what I say public hells, but we're not aware of what I would call private hells, meaning things that people have had to experience, had to witness that was just too hard too hard on the psyche and there's just a whole load of what that can be and I'm not going to go there at this point but let's think of all of those things but you know most importantly think about being there think about being that person that you know you know sometimes there's different ways to be with somebody who's struggling sometimes you give of, of your time okay you spend time with them Time, time could be on the phone. Time could be in physical presence. It could be about feeding them. Maybe they're not great. You know, they just haven't eaten well since they felt like garbage. You know, so feeding them, being present, but mostly being emotionally present and kind of helping somebody problem solve where they're stuck. All of that matters. All of that makes a person not feel abandoned in the world. And once again, Don't be surprised by the kindness of strangers because there are people out there that will care. And some people are going to have to change their tribe because their tribe just doesn't have any substance to it. All right? All right. So we'll close up there. Thank you for joining me. Uh, I look forward to having you back on another podcast.